Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Alex McLaren. I'm an actor and I've worked as a communications coach since 2002. Now so much business is being conducted remotely, the ways in which we talk, present, build relationships and connect is changing. In this podcast, I want to explore all those issues and prove to you that no matter who you are, you can talk to anyone. Hello and welcome to You Can Talk to Anyone, the podcast where we open the bonnet on our communications engine. I'm Alex McLaren. And I'm Tom Solinsky. Um, and this week we wanted to talk about, well, not talking to people or not even listening to people. It's more to do with the way we look at each other um, and what our looks at each other mean. We want to talk about eye contact. Uh, Tom, this has always been uh, a big part of our work when we're doing status dynamics, particularly in the world of improvisation. But of course, it affects absolutely everything. And for me, I think it's just terribly, terribly important and also terribly intricate and complicated. <laughs> um, so it's not something that's very easy to say very blanket rules about this um, because uh, the movement between people and the, the changes in eye contact between people is so uh, intricate and quick. Um, I think it's going to be one of those things, for example, it would be very difficult to do scientific experiments about. Um, but let's get started a little bit. I'm just very conscious that when people aren't looking at you when you're talking, um, it can feel like they're simply not paying attention. Um, and this is something that comes up a lot in our work. Yes, I mean, eye contact is one of those things that, in common with quite a lot of the things we talk about, if you are relaxed and comfortable with people that you know, the amount of time you spend looking directly at someone's eyes mm. and the amount of time you spend looking away is something you need never give any thought to. <laughs> it will just take care of itself automatically. And suddenly, if you're under stress, if you're meeting someone for the first time, if you feel, oh, this has got to go really well, then you can very easily start overthinking. How much eye contact am I making? Am I making too much? Am I not making enough? And then it gums up the works. And something which used to be completely natural and intuitive becomes something which you have to micromanage in a very uncomfortable way. Yes, it does. I, I, I mean, in talking of uh, the way we used to do it, I, I, I suppose I, I'm, I'm very aware of when we notice babies <laughs> looking at if you ever look at kind of like you get people's videos of, uh, of interactions with babies it's very funny what little babies do is that they absolutely look at you they're not really able yet to focus so then they really are trying to work out what this is in front of them that smells like their parents <laughs> um, and, but they, they have this incredibly direct gaze 
there's no sense of uh, the rules of eye contact with them because they haven't learned any of that stuff in an intuitive or a kind of a, a more conscious way at all. Um, and it's amazing what it then does to the grown-ups around them because you see suddenly their eyes open wide and their eyebrows go up. And this is universal. You see this in kind of parents and brothers and sisters and grandparents all over the planet that when we are being looked at, with the eye contact of a tiny child, we really do pay lots of attention back. I've noticed, incidentally, the same pattern with now that I have a dog. <laughs> but animals look at you, your pet looks at you like um, uh, like you belong to them. And uh, yes. there's no sense of, oh, this is impolite because dogs don't do that. Um, but they get the same reaction out of me. I end up looking back at it like, a, well, a fur baby is the term that tends to have been thought <laughs> to get used in our household. So it is exactly the same pattern. Um, but of course, we give a lot of permission, I think, um, to little kids. We, there's a sort of, there's an inbuilt sense that we're looking after them. So we, we allow them, we license them to look at us in any sort of way. Um, it changes a little bit, I think, when, uh, for example, if you're in a position of, of having to look after older children or teenagers, that if you were cross with them and that they were simply staring you down, that it would feel like, oh, hang on, that's total insolence. <laughs> and we're starting to change those rules um, because there's a sort of a message contained in that sort of staring down eye contact that teenagers start to do when they're challenging the authority of the adults around them, which has a... Yes, an unwelcome stare hmm. can be the harbinger of something much more unpleasant and physical. Yes. Uh, and that gets back to what you were saying before about our impro work, that when we're looking at different ways in which people can raise and lower their status, actually where your eyes are is a huge part of that equation. Now, so much of status is to do with space, how much space you take up, how you move through space and so on, but your eyes can claim space. One of my favorite examples of this is the rules for entering a crowded lift. Mm. If, the, uh, if you're getting into a lift and it's going up floor by floor on quite a tall building, and so when the doors open, you're looking at a lift full of people, what you are required to do if you want the other people in the lift to think that you're normal, is to walk in and then immediately turn around and face the doors. <laughs> Everyone in that lift has to be facing the same way. Everyone at the back of the lift has to be looking at the back of someone else's head. Everyone at the front of the lift has got to be looking at the doors. <laughs> if you want... Now, listen, I'm not saying this is a good idea. I'm not suggesting anyone listening should go out and try this. But if you wanted to try this experiment, walk into a lift full of people... Mm. and just stand and stare at them. <laughs> they will lose their minds. You are far too high status in that space because you are looking the wrong way. Your eyes are claiming space in that lift that nobody gave you permission to have. What I find even more interesting than that is if you look at the basic geography of somebody giving a presentation. Mm. And it's exactly the same. One person is facing the wrong way. But the difference is the people in that room have given the speaker permission. And that's why it's acceptable. As I say, I, I accept no responsibility at all for anything that might happen to you if you try this in a real lift. Yes, it's, a, it's interesting if you wanted to experiment with, uh, with slightly raising your status in, uh, in a crowded um, shopping street. Uh, if you're the person that's looking ahead and deliberately kind of looking at kind of an eye level, you'll notice that people will 
start to kind of to yield to you slightly and step out of your yeah, way. Yeah, people will get out of your way um, because they think you're the more high status one. You're giving every impression, I'm not going to stop. Um, but this is kind of like individuals with different missions. But obviously in communication, there is that, uh, that, that we're, we're together. We're, we're in a space and we're meant to be communicating with each other. And so that business of, of, of making eye contact with your audience when you're speaking to them is a very different matter. I think it's it's true that it's really important. My you know our background as performers means that we we we're very used to looking out um, um, into a darkened theatre and and seeing or, or being aware of at least the eyes of your audience. Um, and it can be quite tricky, I think, sort of learning that. When I was at theatre school, we had a teacher, um, Rudy Shelley, who was this ancient sort of Yoda figure. And whenever he saw people's uh, eyes down on the carpet on the stage, he'd say. Don't look at the floor, Ducky. There's nothing there but the play. <laughs> um, and, what, <laughs> and what he was hoping to generate, of course, was more energy and more back and forth between your character and the other characters on stage, but also more back and forth between you um, and uh, the audience um, that you're talking to. I remember uh, way back in episode one of this very podcast with Deborah, we talked about flashing recognition signals into the darkness, mm. which is a way of sort of facsimileing eye contact with people where you can't actually see them. And of course, something very, very similar is happening when you're communicating on Zoom or Teams. What feels like eye contact to the people on the other end of the call will depend not on where their eyes are in your field of vision, but on where your camera is. So uh, with my setup here, I've got quite a big monitor in front of me Mm -hmm. with a webcam balanced slightly precariously on the top. And I can give you the experience of eye contact if I eyeball the camera like this. But the result now is I can only see you in my peripheral vision. Mm. So I've got to manage this with even more care than I would have to if we were sitting and talking. Now, actually, one way in which this is slightly easier is that there's only two of us. If you're sitting around a table and there's seven or eight of you, now you have seven or eight people who potentially need eye contact from you. One advantage and Maybe not quite the only advantage, but uh, one of a small number of advantages of working remotely is if I've got seven people on the other end of this call and I eyeball the camera, everybody's getting eye contact from me at the same time. Yes, it's the uh, this is this issue of eye contact on video conference is obviously something everybody's had to consider in the last couple of years, and there's been all kinds of of solutions. Um, I've, I've seen people have devised kind of rather complicated mirror boxes whereby they're looking through a two-way mirror and the, and the camera is positioned roughly where they're going to try and put their own face on the MS Teams call. I've also seen uh, people who have devised ways of literally sticking a camera on the end of a stalk leaning over the back of the laptop screen so that it would literally be sitting in front of the screen. Um, but as you say, none of those things really take into account the problem of working with a group in which eye contact is something that we offer out individually when we are in a two-way interaction, as opposed to a TV presenter pretending that the camera is the eyes of an audience. Um, And I think that that's really important because it's not just, I think it's the feeling of being specifically seen that I think is one of the reasons why we are so happy. Um, Always a positive experience when a person in some sort of kind of authority or leadership um, position gives us their attention in terms of eye contact. I had this fascinating experience a couple of days ago. I was doing some work with, uh, it was actually, it was a face-to-face situation. 
um, with a group of leaders in the construction industry and what I'd been brought in to help them put together their presentations for their boss. So some very, very senior people from quite a big organization were coming along at the end of the day to meet the juniors. And I was talking about the about making it a, a welcoming experience for those guys. And I said, you know, it would it's a, it would be a good idea if when they arrive, you aren't terrified and go and gossip to each other and try and work out the safe thing to say, but that you take them in, look at them, go and say hi. Um, and uh, and then I sort of, I, I stepped back to see what would actually happen. I mean, because in those situations, I what I what that's what I habitually do. When somebody's arriving, I'm looking for their eye contact and heading over and letting them know, I see you, you're welcome, come in and this is who I am. Um, and uh, but of course, in came these senior guys, and that's what they do as well. So <laughs> I, you, I knew that the the people I've been coaching with were really you know keen to make people feel welcome and uh, and step forward and be good hosts. But in came the seniors, and they started looking for the eye contact of the people that they were arriving because that's what CEOs do: is that they they don't leave it um, up to other people. They don't they don't risk it <laughs> letting mm. other people not connect with them. They do the connecting, and uh, and so that there's that that strong eye contact from senior people seems to be a really habitual pattern that I've seen in the various business school situations that I've uh, I've, I've looked at that frank situation from the outside. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What do you think would be uh, good advice for somebody who feels as if they are getting into that kind of anxiety spiral that we talked about at the beginning? Let's say you have gone in to meet somebody and for whatever reason you're feeling on the back foot, you're feeling a bit like this isn't going particularly well or it's just the kind of situation which provokes anxiety in you. You realize you aren't making very much eye contact. What advice would you give someone in that situation? Um, what I typically say is um, remember to start with um, one individual because when it's, I think it's the idea that you're being, you feel a little bit hunted by a crowd of people or looking in your direction or worse, facing in your direction and paying their attention somewhere else. Uh, so I'd say, I'd say always start it as, uh, as a tennis rally with one individual and then include another person on the far side of the net of the game. Um, 
and uh, remember that people won't, uh, they'll start to check out if they think they're not going to get any attention from you. That's what begins that. But you can also, you can start the process of getting their attention back by staying with one person until they realize they're being looked at. And then they'll look in your direction and they'll give you the little nods and recognition signals. Yes, I I see that I'm uh, welcome in this interaction. Then you can move on to somebody else. And audiences are very sensitive to other people's reaction within the audience as well. So if they notice that others are being looked at, that will begin to raise the potential that they're going to get some attention as well. Um, They respond very um, sensitively to this. Um, So it's much, much less difficult than you think to get that back and forth of contact between you and an audience going. Um, You just need to remember that they are at least as important as what you're trying to say, um, and maybe even more so. So uh, yes, you do need to check in with your notes sometimes, but remember that you're checking in your notes so that you can give your attention and give what you have to say to the people you're talking to. This is one of the traps for presenters, isn't it? Because uh, again, presenting in person, you have slides on a big screen very often behind you. And so it's very tempting to address the screen far more often than you're addressing the audience. Some people have attempted to solve this problem by having what's known as a comfort monitor, particularly for a bigger occasion. So I have my slides behind me so the audience can see them. And then uh, down at my feet, I have a little monitor which only I can see, which shows me my slides. And what that means is that when I click my clicker, I can be reassured that the slide has changed uh, and I'm not talking about point two while the slide behind me continues to show point one. I am not a fan of comfort monitors. And I'll tell you why not. If I turn around and look at the screen behind me, clearly that's not as good as giving the audience my attention and sharing out my eye contact with them in the ways that we've talked about and indeed the ways we talked about in episode one. If I turn around and look at the screen, what that does do is direct the audience's attention to the screen. Because we're social animals, if the person on whom attention is focused looks elsewhere, other people will tend to try to follow their gaze. So if I turn around and look at my screen, you will look at the screen. You'll want to know what it is I'm looking at. And hopefully, I'll do that when I want your attention on the screen. And I won't do it for very long, and then I'll turn back and talk to the audience again. If I look down at my comfort monitor, I'm breaking eye contact with the people in the audience, but they now have nowhere to follow my gaze to. They can't see my comfort monitor. They have no idea what it is I'm looking at. So it's the worst of all possible worlds. And that comfort monitor, like a kind of comfort blanket, draws the eye. Like a television in a pub, you know, when you're talking to somebody and their eyes keep drifting up above your head because there's a television behind you. You're absolutely right. There's a, it, the, uh, I mean, and this is something that I definitely know from show business. You know, the, you know Harold Pinter's play, The Caretaker? Yeah. Uh, it begins with, it's all set in a massive junk shop and <laughs> the opening seats, it's an empty stage and then on walks one of the characters. And Pinter describes very clearly in the stage direction, he looks at the teapot, he looks at the Buddha statue, he looks at, and it's it's extraordinary because basically the, the, the audience is sitting there paying lots of attention to whatever the actor is paying attention to. And I think that's mm. one. I think maybe that's a, a reason why that that uh, the being being looked at makes us feel like we matter because it makes us feel like we're part of it. I also think it actually makes it harder to to judge somebody. I think it's quite 
hard to judge someone who's really looking at you because we are very conscious that they are assessing us at the same time. And so I think that's one reason why it's such a, a powerful part of high status um, dynamics. Um, it also goes back to the animal thing. Mm. Uh, a cat will indicate that it's comfortable in your presence by making eye contact with you and then blinking very slowly. Mm. Because what yeah. that says is, first of all, I, I see you, I connect with you, but then it says, I don't fear you. So I'm going to ostentatiously stop looking at you because I don't view you as a threat. I don't have mm. to keep my eye on you in case you suddenly decide you're going to attack me. Yeah, and it's interesting that uh, I did some work once on a Shakespeare play. <laughs> um, and in it, there is uh, one of the characters is reading a book, which is unattributed, but it's been tracked down. And the book they're reading is by Plato. And Plato talks about eye contact. Um, in the, it's in the first Alcibiades. And Socrates says, You have observed then that the face of him who looks into the eye of another appears visible to himself in the eyesight of the person opposite to him. An eye, therefore, beholding an eye, and looking into that in the eye which is most perfect and which is the instrument of vision, would thus see itself. Then, if the eye is to see itself, it must look at the eye, and at that part of the eye in which the virtue of the eye resides, and which is like herself. Nor should we know that we were the person's to whom anything belonged if we did not know ourselves. So he's really talking about the sort of like the a philosophical dimension of what it means for people to look at each other. Um, mm. And so it really goes back to this stuff about, uh, I guess, to be paid attention by others is how we begin to figure out who we are. Um, and, and if attention is a resource, I think anything which Takes so it, which is a distraction from the actual people we are engaging with, is likely to be a real problem for when you're communicating. I think this is one of the, the, the headaches in the age of, uh, of digital of smartphones, particularly, I guess, since 2010, yeah. is that if there's a smartphone there, there's loads of other people always in the room, um, which potentially may distract you from your date, which is uh, <laughs> a real issue. <laughs> um, and something that will always cause rows, even on people who've been married for ages, they'll switch your phone off, I need, to, I need your attention. Um, <laughs> and I think we notice that in business circumstances as well. If you want to, I think, raise your chances of making a connection with somebody and this might be in a in any business circumstance um, and it might be sort of raising a connection with somebody you know very well see if you can remove anything which is likely to prove something that might draw your eyes away from the person that you're engaging with good advice um homework this week um is i would suggest uh, uh you go, next meeting that you're going to, see if you can switch off anything um, that uh, may distract you from people you're engaging with, or it be better, switch your phone off and leave it in your pocket um, and see what that does to the eye contact that you are making with the people that you're talking to. Um, and please get in touch if you've got any insights or questions about this. Yeah, we run workshops of all kinds, both in person and remotely, on anything to do with communications, whether that's giving a formal presentation, uh, taking a client out to lunch, uh, inspiring the team, uh, or running training. And so if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can send us an email, info at the-spontaneity-shop.com, or you can give us a call on 020 
please tune in for um, future editions. We've got a great back catalogue of material to listen to if you're new to the podcast. Um, I'm Alex McLaren. And I'm Tom Salinsky. Thanks and goodbye. You have been listening to You Can Talk to Anyone with Alex McLaren and Tom Salinsky. The producer for The Spontaneity Shop was Tom Salinsky. You Can Talk to Anyone is distributed exclusively by Acast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.